0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Thanks for listening to the show. Join your hosts, Bill Alfsted, and Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alfstedt, sitting down with co-host. Keith Myers here to talk Seahawks football. Hey, we've made it, Keith, all the way to uh, training camp week. I can't even believe it. It's been a long off season. We packed in a ton of shows and content, uh, but we're finally here going to talk about real football, uh, what we see on the, on the field and on the ground this week. Training camp begins on the 26th, which is Wednesday. And uh, so today and our next show, we are going to devote to uh, training camp preview shows and uh, up in this episode is our look at the offensive side of the ball welcome in
1: yeah um interesting storylines here i mean training camp's always interesting that's the whole point of training camp right um but this year with the offense it seems like a lot of things are set right we know a lot about what's going to happen what's going on the expectations are really high but they don't feel like pie in the sky high they're just high because there's a lot of talent um And, um, yeah, but there are some still things that are up in the air. And so that, I think that's a good place for us to, to, um, to get started on here.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think that, you know, things up in the air, uh, you're right though. Things are settled. Those are part of the storylines. I think our focus today was going to be, you know, top five, top six storylines. Uh, we both brought in our own independent lists and there's a couple, there's some crossover and there's a couple, uh, ones that each, each of us brought in independently that we'll talk about. So there's plenty to talk about today. But why don't you yeah go ahead and start with um what your your focus is on storylines as far as what might not be settled on the offense.
1: Well okay so um for me I mean I'm the offensive line guy right so you know where I'm starting with this. Um like it's the battles at um you know right guard and center. Um can Bradford and Olawatimi win jobs over veterans um brown and and um hands i'm gonna be watching that really closely to see not just um what the snaps are and who's getting snaps with the first team and all of that but how are they doing because it's one thing to be getting snaps with the first team but if you're getting outplayed you're getting outplayed you know what i mean and that I believe is what we're going to see from Evan Brown is that he's going to get all the first team starts or snaps for the first few, for the first week. Um, but can all show that that's going to be a temporary situation? Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I'm really looking at. And then how do they, how do they bring um, Bradford along? And, and how much, I mean, Haynes is kind of the, re, he's the incumbent, how much um, respect this team give him as the incumbent to hold on to that spot or do they really give to make it make it um, obvious early on that Bradford's got the inside track on that
0: yeah interesting questions really um let's start with let's start with Phil Haynes just as the incumbent uh, coming back uh, from last year he's been on the team for, for quite a while this is his fourth season uh he had 44 percent of the snaps last season uh, in a, in a shared role with Gabe Jackson now leaving. Um, so he started a few games last year. Um, but really, if you really take a look at it and really we're honest with ourselves, he's just a a middle of the pack offensive guard in this league, not horrible, uh, doesn't do, uh, anything extremely well, but is a solid guy. Team has a lot of respect for him. Uh, Pete views him as as the third starting offensive guard they had on the roster last year. Mm-hmm. And they kind of treated him as such. Uh, Gabe Jackson had some issues with his knee. I think that's why he's still not, un- he's unsigned so far this uh, season as well, might be done uh, in the league. Uh, Phil heads had some opportunities to come in and show what he had. And it was okay. I mean, it was, it was okay. It was starter level, um, but but nothing great. I think the hope, I think, for the team is that Anthony Bradford comes in and really shows up early and maybe takes that spot before the first game, if not halfway through the season. Um, and then, of course, Phil Haynes has had a history of some injuries, um, and so I think that they definitely want Anthony Bradford ready to go out of the gate. Um, but you're right. That competition, I think, um, as far as uh, a roster position battle, is one of the top stories um, this in this training So what do you think about Oluwitimi's chances there against Evan Brown? Evan Brown's kind of got the experience as 23 starts over the last two seasons at both guard and center. So that provides some versatility on this roster. So if he does not start, he's a nice uh, guy that you can play at three different positions potentially. Mm -hmm. Um, But
1: how does the team view him And, and what kind of contract did they give him? um well they didn't give him um a big starting contract they gave him one that you'd expect for um a guy that's probably going to be a backup um but that it was kind of the idea was they didn't they didn't and he was a draft hedge. he was a guy that if nothing happened in the draft they would have a guy um he's basically like austin Blythe 2.0 but he's also on a one-year contract for him If he comes in, he wins the job, plays well. Um, He'll get another contract, a bigger contract from, if not Seattle, than someone because there's value there. Um, But then Seattle drafted Oluwetimi, right? Uh, And I know it's a fifth round pick and fifth round picks usually aren't expected to come in and start week one. Um, But the Seahawks view Oluwetimi differently. They don't view him as a guy that is a developmental project. Um, this is a guy that's one of the most decorated offensive linemen ever um in, in yeah. college football um just outland all the trophy. awards well,
0: yeah the remington trophy is the best offensive center uh and and the outland trophy is i think even more impressive because that's the one that they give the best interior uh linemen uh both either on offense or defense uh-huh. um awarded each year so he got both of those plus the you know the uh the actual offensive line that he was, uh, in command of one as best offensive line in, in all of college football as well. So, I mean, twice, twice. Yeah. And and he started (laughs) everywhere he's been. So he's, you know, he started air force. It was somewhere else. And then, um, Michigan, uh, in spring, he shows up in spring and they name him offensive captain after just a week of practices. Um, Mm -hmm. and then he starts and just has a great year. Um, I don't, it's hard to kind of pinpoint exactly why he didn't go earlier. Teams didn't value his skill set and his command of the offense, his communication skills, his leadership qualities, et cetera, more than they did. Um, but he, he fell. Seattle picked him off. I think he was a guy that they targeted. You know, they could have mm-hmm. gone uh, offensive line, offensive center earlier in the draft. There was a couple of names there that we obviously uh, talked about quite a bit early in our evaluation process leading up to the draft and they decided that this is the guy that they really wanted and it makes a lot of sense now that he's kind of been in we've had a chance to really look at him a little bit more um you had mentioned earlier in a a couple different shows that you expected at least one of these guys to start from day one
1: yeah absolutely i think by the time we get to week one at least one of the two will, will have won a job um bradford i believe has kind of an inside track simply because i don't trust haynes to get through camp um without getting nicked up now and he's not gonna be one of those guys that ends up on ir but he's gonna those guys that's gonna miss a week here or two weeks there and and that's gonna give a young player who he's competing with um a chance to win the job because that's two weeks of working with the ones and no competition and so I just think that, that that's, that's likely to happen. Although has got, I believe, a harder path um, in that he's, I think of Brown as more of an established guy, even though it's his first year with this team, um, he's been a starter uh, in the league. And, and while he's not a high-end starter, he's still a guy with, with um, some experience on a really young offensive line. So we'll see. But... uh Olatimi is not your typical fifth-round pick. This is a guy that is going to be given every opportunity to win that job. Um, last year, I said that I didn't think there was any way Seattle would go into week one with two rookie tackles. You'd, you're going to have one veteran on the group, and then they'll bring the second rookie on, um, along You know, at some point. Um, honestly, what my instincts tell me is that's the same this year. They're not going to come in with two rookie interior linemen. Um,
0: it would but be, last it year, sh- it would be very impressive, right? Yeah. Just like it was last year. It would just be very impressive. I think, you know, expectations are maybe Anthony Bradford has, has a real opportunity there to come out of the gate and, and really show, but I wouldn't discount all of I mean, the guy's been proven that mm-hmm. then at every level, at every stop that he's uh, taken over and started, uh, has got 43 starts in his college career and it came in three different colleges. Um, this, at this point, I think that um, I wouldn't rule it out. You know, mm-hmm. and I and it's just uh, here is what I I would definitely not rule out. I would definitely not rule out both these guys are going to be starters by the end of the year. And the, oh, the, not not by the, the end the of the year. The five of offensive linemen that we have, including re-signing Lewis, would be where this where this is going to go.
1: Yep. Yeah, I, that would would it, I mean talk about a turnaround, right? This was a old and somewhat untalented offensive line um, to having by the end of this year um, four guys that are either in their first or second year and extremely talented um, on your offensive line I and mean, that's that's two drafts of getting two starters um, in each of them that's crazy to yeah. to think that that's what what john snyder has done to the offensive line and finally given this team a good offensive line a good young cheap offensive line um for the first time since max hunger left
0: so let's keep the conversation uh with the offensive line you mentioned as part of this uh this conversation already the two um rookie starting tackles that we picked Mm -hmm. up in the 2022 draft uh i know from our our uh, conversation right before we pushed record that one of your topics is checking in on the now sophomore uh, starting tackles for the offensive line.
1: Yeah, so I want to see growth. I mean, both the guys were good. Um, okay, fine. So they were good as rookies, but now they've got an, an a pro offseason um, after a, a full, very long pro season, right? Because they're you're talking about five plus more games than you're um, going to see in college. Uh, which is why I think you saw Abe Lucas wear down at the end of the year and and be less effective at the end of the year than he was at the beginning. Um, I think it's just a matter of, you know, the season's really long and he, his body just kind of wore down. Um, how much better do they look now, right? Now that they've got an opportunity to put on um, some additional muscle to continue working at that level, um, to continue doing those things, how much... Um, better do they look how much more comfortable are they in the offense and what they've got to do how much are they playing instead of thinking um, and I think those things have an opportunity both of these guys to take a, a step forward and in, in terms of how good they are which considering how good they were last year is I don't know It's exciting to me because now we're talking about maybe having two really really good um, tackles instead of two just highly talented tackles. You know what I mean? Like you, sure. you go from being good to being great. And, um, I, I can see that coming from both these guys are athletic, um, enough to make another big step forward. So,
0: um, so so- in the, in the off season, I'm not exactly sure when it occurred, but, uh, Abe Lucas did have a little, uh, procedure on his shoulder, mm-hmm. um, and was not yet completely ready to go in many camps. Is there any concern yet? Or, or at least that you've heard, um, for Abe Lucas to be ready, uh, out of day
1: one. Um, I haven't heard that, that they're worried about that. It's supposed to be really minor. It's just a little cleanup and, and everything. And then he is, um, you know, focused on rehabbing and getting all that stuff back together. I, I expect him to be out there. If he's not ready for day one of camp, it's just the team being, um, overly cautious and they want him in the building so they can, you know look at things like range of motion and strength and make sure that everything is um where it needs to be before they throw him out on the field and then he'll be out there soon um if that doesn't happen and it starts to stretch into camp that's when i would become be, worried because that means that uh maybe something's not healing as it was expected to and this is a guy going into a second year he needs the camp time he needs the practice time they need him to be um out there learning and especially if he's going to have a rookie um, next to him at right guard they need those reps together for the communication aspect of all of this
0: i think i think with all that said um yeah i think they're going to have less time uh taking reps than they had last year just because they they already know what they've got they don't need to prove anything these guys uh, mm -hmm. need some reps to get kind of uh, solidified, get some continuity with with the other offensive linemen. That's about it. I do expect to see a lot of uh, snaps uh, taken with Jake Curhan and Stone Forsyth, and and then Greg Island and Jalen McKenzie as well. Uh, they've got four other tackles on the roster that they want to take a look at, like and find out what they've got um, uh, with those guys, especially like Jake Curhan and, and Forsyth, because. Um, at one point, those guys look like they might be guys that, that, that could come in and possibly start for this team no longer. But I think that the, the team wants to definitely feel comfortable going forward with those guys being reserved guys that they could plug in at, at any time, especially I think where he could play potentially four different spots for this team.
1: Well, I would say three different spots. I don't see him as being a guy that's ever going to play left tackle, but right tackle and then both guard spots. Um, and, you know, uh, he was a guy that was talked about as being perhaps the future at right guard until Bradford was um, drafted. So um, he's got a lot to prove. I mean, he, he's got to show that he, um, since he's now no longer in line to ever be a starter on the right side, uh, they, you know, he's got to show that he belongs on the roster. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what he does. Interesting.
0: So my, uh, what I put down for my fifth storyline, working, working my way forward to number one was the competition at wide receiver number four. Um, I think that the, the competition, um, through the first three spots is seemingly locked in at this point with Jackson Smith and Jigba coming in as the third wide receiver on this team with Lockett and Metcalf, obviously number one, number two. And then um, they've got some young guys then on the back end that, that, that are going to be in competition for the fourth, fifth, and maybe sixth spot on the roster. Dwayne Eskridge, uh, who's been hampered with injury for his entire uh, career so far, two year career. They still want to see what he's got. Uh, reports are that he's been looking explosive in camp. He hasn't missed any time with any ups or injuries. So there's some hope there that he's going to be able to come in and at least a make the roster and, and, uh, be in play for some snaps, uh, in a rotation role. And then Derek Young, uh, the, the big wide receiver that came on uh, at the end of the last season, um, in a kind of a diverse role in this offense, the guy that can line up in the backfield, he can, he can be a lead blocker as a kind of a fullback. Uh, you can bring him in as a, as a tight end. Um, if you want to, and, and, and um, and put him out in the flat, uh, in space, um, he does some jet sweeps for you, uh, blocks really well for a wide receiver. Uh, so they do like him, play special teams. Um, but does he step up this season and have an opportunity to come in and earn more uh, opportunities to actually catch the ball uh, in the in the offense? And um, so that competition will be interesting. And then there's Cade Johnson and a couple other guys on the back end, Bobo, uh, Jake Bobo. And then uh, Cody Thompson is still there uh, and and a few other guys, Matt Landers, um, on on the back end. So I'm really interested to see how this shakes out because the offense is going to be really dominant this year from all expectation levels, Um, really explosive. And this position group is is definitely headlining that.
1: Yeah, um, and with all of that, I mean – you know, Young is is such an intriguing guy because of his his height and his speed and all of that. And we saw um, some like flashes of wow, this kid could be really good last year. And then in the preseason games, he couldn't seem to hang on to the ball. He dropped a lot of passes, and that was really disappointing. But he, um, you know, he really showed that there's talent there. And he it took him some time um over the course of the season to earn back some trust. Um, but he did end up with a couple catches at the end of the year. They started trying to get him involved. They did a bunch of of ways to get the ball into his hands, even if a, though even if it wasn't just in the passing game, right and then jet sweeps and that kind of stuff. Um, and his athleticism showed back up i I want to see what he does. Does he take advantage of this opportunity and just go out and um, really hold on to it because the, the athleticism and the size that that's rare. It really is. I mean, um he could very much be a,, um, you know, a, basically a poor man's DK Metcalf, um, in terms of o- overall like ability and that yeah. kind of stuff. and and Tebow, uh, Tebow Samuel kind of, you know he has that he has that sort of skill set where he's kind yeah. of running back in a wide receiver role. He's a little yeah. tall for, for that, but yeah, I mean, he, he does all of those things. Um, and, uh, I, I'm really excited about him. And then at some point they need to get something out of that Dwayne Eskridge pick. Um, and it was a second round pick so far. They've gotten absolutely nothing from it. Uh, hopefully he can stay healthy he and flashes.
0: show. He had a couple flashes. flash. I mean, he had like 17 catches, but man, they, they would like to him to have like 40 catches
1: yeah this This is by now he should be by now he should have made the jackson smith and jigma um first round pick um unnecessary instead he's an afterthought and um but there's a reason why they picked him where they did there's talent there he's just got to actually be healthy and do something with it um and if that happens like okay so you know the top three are there and if those two guys both pop during training camp this that wide receiver room is now I mean it was already good now suddenly it's scary good and um the opposing uh defensive coordinators have no clue what to do with trying to cover that big guy yeah
0: yeah crazy okay so how about you what's what's the the next storyline you want to talk about
1: um you know I wanted to like very things are very different this year at the quarterback position than they were last year even though it's the same two guys right um last year it was geno smith and Locke. it was ken Locke who actually has more is younger and has more arm talent can he actually beat out geno the answer was no um you know could geno like actually look like he was a guy that um could lead this team and not be traditional you know Gino from his entire career um the answer was yes kind of he didn't really show much of it in camp and preseason, but once you know the season got here he really looked great all year um but now there's a different kind of pressure on him right it's not a can he win a job can he hold off the competition can he prove that he's belongs in the NFL now it's a can he build on a pro bowl season can he um run what looks like it might be one of the most dynamic offenses in the entire nfl like what does he do with the success that he had can he manage that the the narrative around him is completely different this year than last year and i find that fascinating like i want to see what's what's going on Uh, with him and and how in control does he seem of of the roster like you know in the locker room uh, and the offense and all of that and how much does the team put on his plate like do they give him additional controls of things at the line of scrimmage I know they put a lot on him last year and he proved that he was worth it but um, there was room for him to take more control over things and uh, I'd love to see him do that
0: you know it's interesting Keith because last year you know, we heard the confidence coming from Pete Carroll and Shane Waldron uh, about how they felt about Geno Smith. And, you know, he, as a, a fan and as a, even a reporter um, close to the team, sometimes that stuff's overlooked because he's, he's a second guy. Uh, Russell Wilson was the predominant player on this offense for 10 seasons, and Geno you know, just didn't really, um, he was an afterthought. And so when he had his opportunity, nobody really knew what was going to go on. Of course, Pete Carroll wanted to say all the right things after we acquired Locke in the trade uh, to kind of prop up Drew Locke and his confidence level so he can come into camp and and it it would be a real competition. And But it turned out it was really Geno Smith's job to lose the whole time. And rightly so. Uh, He had earned that behind closed doors, in meetings. He'd earned the team's trust and confidence. Uh, all the way through the roster, and it, it showed last year. Okay, so now he signs this really nice contract for the team in the off season. It was great for Gino because he got paid for the very first time in his career. Not you know literally, but uh, figuratively, he's making tons of money now. But it was a team friendly contract, it got a contract they could get out of if things moved in a certain direction. Maybe they drafted a quarterback this year high and needed to, to transition in twenty twenty four. That wasn't the case. It's still Geno's team. You're right, but those uh, those contract incentives were really important. Uh, if you take a look at his contract, uh, he's making decent money, uh, but he has an opportunity to almost double that salary with all the incentives they put in throughout the contract. And, and all of them were at levels or exceeding levels from last year's performance. <laughs> last year, he set some franchise records for yards and completion percentage and um, all that kind of stuff. So the expectation for him is that I'm going to go get those incentives. I have confidence in myself and the team has confidence in me. We didn't put those in place as necessarily unachievable. We put those in place because we want to achieve those. And if we do, we're going to go deep into the playoffs. And I think that's the kind of attitude and the vibe that you kind of feel around the team and Gino this year where they're like, sky's the limit and you know it's interesting because you're talking about a 34 what 33 34 year old quarterback you're still trying to identify what the ceiling is um on this player it's a very unique situation but i think he's become the true leader of the team um especially the offense
1: and this team really does go as far as gino yeah um and he they really do and i like the idea that the the incentives are there, they're beyond what he did last year, but they're not so far out there, they're unachievable. These aren't ones that were put in place like, hey, here's this possible money you could earn, but they have no expectation that he'll get there. They're in place so that way, if the team doesn't do as well as as everyone thinks they will on offense, well, they didn't pay him, that. they won't, won't have overpaid him. Um, but they're there with the expectation that he will get at least some of them Um, and they'll be happy to have the cap hit and less cap room a year from now um, if he gets to them because that means he had a great year Um, and if he has a great year this offense is unstoppable and that is really kind of the point in all of this Um, but the storyline is different the way he's going to be treated um, is different this is now his job there's no competition right? he's expected to come in and um kind of be the face of the offense to be one of those guys it, it, the role is different once you're the established starting quarterback um and so i'm i'm very interested to see how that looks and how that works differently this year
0: yeah absolutely absolutely my next one um that i had was at running back um is kind of a one of those things that you don't think about too much, but I, the more I thought about it and really kind of take a look at the storylines on the offensive side of the ball, um, there's not a lot. Like you mentioned early on in in the conversation, the offense is kind of set, but there's a few little nuanced things that are out there that really make um, this, this training camp and this process leading up to the regular season intriguing for me. And one of them is the offense. And I don't know that we should completely discount uh, Ken Walker in this conversation because here's this kid came on to start last year after what game three or four missed a game uh, really kind of exploded and got into his rhythm um, after halfway through the season. Now you're going to have Ken Walker have an opportunity to come out of the gates from day one. And he's also got a guy that they, they uh, drafted and Zach Charbonnet on his tail that, you know, some people are talking about, yeah, he's more of a Pete Carroll type running back. He's going to come in and initially, um, you know, get, get some snaps, but he could eventually even take over as the number one running back in this system because it's kind of the favored style that Pete Carroll likes. Well, Ken Walker's not going to take that lane down. He's going to come in and really have something to prove a chip on his shoulder plus a full season to do it. And I think there's an opportunity for Ken Walker here to have a company. You know, major breakout season as far as uh, a running back have, you know, 1,400 yards, a dozen touchdowns, uh, receiving the ball out of the backfield. Um, but, but it's definitely his baby uh, to, to, to do what he wants to do to it and prove to the team that, that he deserves all those snaps. If he doesn't, Zach Charbonnet is right there waiting uh, mm-hmm. in the wings to, to kind of nip at his heels throughout the season and take some of those carries away. I think it's a fascinating competition.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, And behind them, you've got another fascinating competition. You've got um, McIntosh trying to win the job as the third down back, uh, as the receiver out of the backfield, that kind of thing, and take away from, um, you know, DJ Dallas, who kind of had that role figured out, and and it was his last year. Um, And, you know, you've got, like you've got two competitions at running back going on. Um, one for all the the main carries and one for, um, you know, a um, chunk of receptions out of the backfield. And there's a lot of talent in all four of those guys. They, they're, they're all, um, they're all guys that, uh, deserve shots in, in, in all of this. And so, uh, I think it's, it's fascinating. It really is. And it's one of the things that you and I had, um, have been talking about on why we're so, um, we're, we're so excited about this offense and why we think it can be um special is because of the fact that you've got um you know you've got depth at places you've got talent across the board there isn't oh well you know they're they're good here but here's this other weakness can they overcome it like they've got you know there are four running backs, right? Two that, desired, that deserve a ton of carries and a couple that are fighting for, um, you know, the third down job that are all talented. And, and it's really interesting. With
0: all I do things. love that depth piece, but there's just no discounting the uh, the ideas of, of those those two main guys at the top. I mean, this oh, yeah. is the first time I really, the potential, I think there was potential last year with Penny, you know, got hurt and so forth. You really didn't see that tandem work uh, together. But this is really the first time where Pete has had two, two different kind of running backs that, that could potentially share the load in this offense that would resemble what Pete had at USC with Reggie Bush and Lyndell White. I mean, those, mm-hmm. that's kind of like the, the two types of running backs now that the Seahawks have. And it's got to be pretty exciting for Shane Waldron to, to have an opportunity to use these guys as a tandem um, in different situations so far we'll see what happens with charbonnet I, you know it's it i i don't want to discount him either he is a fantastic guy averaged seven yards a carry in college um his senior uh season and um i expect a lot actually from that running back room we could be one definitely one of the best running back um groups i think in the entire nfl top to bottom
1: yeah top to bottom i mean there's there's um at the top, there's some really talented backs around the league that will, um, you know, claim that that uh, Seattle doesn't yeah, have the best. Course. But, but top to bottom, you know, four deep, uh, that's where where Seattle's got it, and I, I I really like that. All right, give me another story. Um, the other story that I'm I'm kind of watching is, and this is more um, schematic than player. Uh, how involved are the tight ends? Because We've been talking about them getting the tight ends involved for years. Um, and then last year they, they did, they finally had, they were three deep. They had the talent. They got the tight ends involved, but now you've got that third receiver that they were missing. um, And maybe a fourth and fifth receiver. Now you've got more running backs to get the ball to do the tight ends stay involved or do they start to, fade and become an afterthought. Like they have been all of Pete Carroll's time here. Um, minus the Jimmy Graham years. Um, so that is, that, that's another thing that I'm looking at. Cause I just, I don't know what to expect. I really just don't.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, you and I have touched upon this idea a few different times and in, in a few different shows. So last year, the tight ends had, I think 109 catches, uh, as a group, uh, bant Uh, led the group with 45 uh, receptions. Uh, Disley had his 25 or 30 and and so on and so forth. Parkinson came on. Uh, I think that there's more there to to be able to use and and more opportunities. But yeah, is he going to have an opportunity to to get there? I don't know. One of the things we talked about was more opportunities. In general, the offense having uh, a higher conversion on third downs, uh, generating longer drives, So therefore, and and the defense may be generating more turnovers to give the offense even more opportunities. So that's where that's, I think, going to come from. The ball is going to be spread out. One of my next storylines is talking about Shane Waldron and how is Shane Waldron going to be able to um, allocate the ball and make sure that the, the distribution of wealth uh, out of Geno's hands, is, is it was going to be spread out um, evenly or is it going to be lumped into into certain categories in the way this offense operates? And one of those things that you just talked about was the tight ends. It's a good group. It's a capable group um, of guys that can make big plays, make big things happen, be yeah. uh, steady chain movers. Uh, that you know, Both uh, Parkinson and Disley are excellent at Parkinson in the red zone. Disley just moves chains no matter where he's at. And then uh, Fant is is a guy that's very capable. and but, but look at everything else that they have on the offense. It's just crazy. So I think if they're going to maintain where they were last year, I don't see them exceeding that. But if they were to maintain 109 catches overall as a group, with everything else that's going on, you've got to increase your third down opportunities, conversion rates, and turnovers from the defense to give the offense more opportunities. If you can generate you know, one or two more drives per game that are sustained, uh, and you extrapolate that over the entire season, I think you can definitely get there. It'll be it'll be fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to talk and finish the conversation with Shane Waldron. Um, it's it's Shane Waldron's offense, and, and can he dial this thing up to be able to spread the ball around while well, making sure his best playmakers have enough touches Uh, The offense improved from 323 yards per game, 20th in the league in 2021 to 351.5 in 2022 was 13th. Seattle had 23.9 points per game in 2022 and ranked 9th, 13th in expected points, uh, 12th in successful play percentage. There is an opportunity here based on just improvement of what we just talked about, all the playmakers third down conversion opportunities and so forth where we could get those rankings and we've talked about this offense being a legitimate top five offense. Is it, Are we exaggerating when we say that? And, it, and how much pressure is on Shane Waldron this year?
1: Yeah, that, that's true because the expectations are really high and it's his job to make sure they meet those expectations. Um, if they don't, If this is not a good offense, um, you know, I can't even why, yeah, like what, where did, where did they go wrong? Like what, what's the mistake there? Um, and if it is a great offense, which we think it will be, like this could advance his career. He could be a guy that his name is, um, showing up as a head coaching candidate a year from now. Certain interviews, absolutely. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's a pressure on him. Um, and we'll see, I mean, we'll see how it ends up working out for him, but, um, it oh God, it's hard to imagine that a guy that did so well last year now has more at his disposal, more talent, um, is not going to do better. I just, I, I have a hard time believing that we've literally run the whole thing back and then we've added
0: in Charbonnet and Macintosh to the equation, you know, mm-hmm. plus a couple offensive line improvements, potentially. <laughs> And then Geno running back in his second year uh, with more confidence, more weapons. Um, wow. I, I, I've i never, I haven't been this excited to watch an offense since uh, Russell Wilson was, in his, I think, his second year. I was very excited to see him come back and see what he could do and improve on. And sure enough, a kid went to the Super Bowl and won it. Mm-hmm. Um, I This is that level of, like, excitement for me. Just so many weapons. I've just not, I can't remember when. Seattle had so much depth at every skill position and weapons at the top of the. They've never had it. It's
1: just crazy. They've never had it on offense. They really haven't. Um, Even the the like the great offenses that they've had, um, like Mike Holmgren's, um, uh, you know, two thousand five offense. That was one running back um, in Sean Alexander, and you had. I mean, they had a great offensive line, but then it was also. Who are the receivers, right? Earl Jackson. That's, that's yeah. Who's who's not a who was never a top receiver and in, in any um, ball a lot too. Um Yeah. And then you go with, um, you know, their tight end was Jeremy Stevens, right? Um, they're, they've never been this loaded on offense. I got to keep saying that on offense because they've been this loaded as loaded as the offense yeah. is, they've been that loaded defensively. Yeah. Um. At, at multiple stages. Um. You know, '83 comes to mind as as an absolutely elite team. I know most people listening think, you know, 2013, 2014, but um, don't discount that '83 team. That God, that defense was good.
0: '83, '84. Yeah. 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 Chuck Knox and that. Yeah. All that. That was that was great. Kenny easily Um. Okay. So. Uh. Great conversation. It's gonna. Training camp's here. Um, it, it's wild to me. I'm just so excited to kind of make sure everyone's healthy. Uh, come in, and you know, I don't mind if if they sit Abe Lucas for a couple of weeks or whatever. He doesn't take any snaps at any games. Kid's going to be ready. They've proven that mm-hmm. already. Um, I I would. I'm really anxious to see and Jigba how he moves in the offense. How much Gino trusts him right out of the gate and goes to him um, in in the games when when the games start. Um, one of the things I'm going to be looking at is, uh, how Gino does against Seattle's defense, because our, um, defensive back group is really good. And, uh, while practices are not going to be physical, those guys are going to be as sticky as they can be. And those, we've got some pretty sticky defensive backs, So it'll be some tight windows. I think Gino's going to have to throw into in, um, in preseason and, and during practices, and if, if reports are coming out that, that it's looking really good, it, that's that's a good sign.
1: Yes, sir. That's all,
0: that's all I got. You got anything else? Nope. <laughs> all right, let's get out of here. Uh, we'll we'll be back uh, next show with the defensive side of the ball uh, as a preview. So hopefully you will join us for that. Until then, you can find Keith on Twitter at marzNFL. You can find me NWChawk Hawk. Um, also on threads as well as at, uh, at Bill Alpstead on threads. If anybody's starting that platform, that's, uh, that's a good place to be as well. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube. we have got our own YouTube channel. Please subscribe and share it and leave a good review if you like the show. So until next time, Go go Hawks. Seahawks playbook podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NW Seahawk, Keith is at Myers NFL, and the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.
1: Podcast Network.